All right, good morning, everybody. Uh, it is officially 9.02 here in southern Wisconsin. It looks like we have the same ragtag bunch of ne'er-do-wells showing up. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding around. Welcome, everybody. The beautiful Jen McNally is here. Interverse Podcast is here. Kat Lynx, Steve Holden, Daniel Stearns. Welcome all. Thank you all for joining me once again this morning. Am I glitchy? Is it glitchy? It shouldn't be. Hopefully that'll fix itself. Anyway, uh, welcome everybody. As you all know, we do service every Sunday. Uh, that's what we do here. Service every Sunday, 9 a.m. Central Standard Time. And uh, <laughs> damn straight, right? <laughs> Bob Ross is here. Love your paintings. Uh, is this all glitchy? Can Jennifer, can you tell me? It seems like it is. Lucy Short, welcome. Thank you. I may have to start this over because that's no good. Uh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I might have to start this over. It looks like it's, uh, not good, huh? Or is that just on my end? I just want to make sure before we get going here. We'll just run with it. I'm not hearing anybody say anything. Looking clear on my end. Okay, no glitches. Okay, great. Good. Okay, thank you all for joining me once again this morning. Uh, another Sunday service. I am Marty Leeds, your teacher of the mysteries and preacher of the heart. And that's what we're going to talk about today, the heart, a little bit. So, before we get going, um... Just a few things I just want to mention. I do have a bell notification on my website, and I highly encourage you to click it. So if there's any videos that go out that I have to take off YouTube, like I had to the other day, um, just yesterday, I did a stream, about a three and a half hour stream, which I never do. And there was just some things in there that I had to take off and, or you know, that were questionable whether it was going to stay on YouTube. And I can't really afford a strike here or anything like that. So I put it right on my site. So if you want to know where all of that stuff is, just go to my site, click the bell notification, and then you'll get all the notifications. So let's start out with a prayer. Just a tiny bit glitchy, not bad. Not bad? Okay. Okay. All right. So hopefully that'll fix itself. I don't know. I guess we'll see. Okay. Um, let's do a uh, prayer. This is the prayer for life. This is a pretty good one. May it be thy will, O Lord, our God, to grant us a long and fruitful life. We pray that it will be a life of goodness and peace, a life of blessing and sustenance and bodily vigor, a life free from sin and shame and reproach, a life of abundance and honor, a life in which the love of God and our fellow men will ever be with us, a life in which all the desires of our hearts shall be fulfilled for our good. Amen. Okay, not bad, huh? Not a bad way to start the, start the day. Okay, um, let's go. Today we're going to talk about, and this was actually, uh, before I get into this, this was actually inspired by a rebel preacher. I don't know if he's here today, but we call him Rabbi. Call him Rebbe. Uh, he was he did a video a couple weeks back uh, on this, and he was just kind of, you know, just uh, talking about how great the One Corinthians is. You know, this whole chapter is just really sort of beautiful. And he said he said I think he said it perfectly, where it just sort of sums up the entire sort of Christian doctrine in one sense. So we're going to talk about that today, and that is One Corinthians thirteen. And it is uh, this is episode nineteen of the, in its uh, Sunday service, the three theological virtues: hope, faith and charity, hope, faith, and charity. So we're going to talk about those today, and we're going to define them and all of that good stuff. So the Q&A I did yesterday um, is up on my site. It's about three and a half hours. I just decided to do it spontaneously. I never do this stuff. And so, um, and I might do that once a week, or I mean once a month. You guys just got to let me know if that's something you'd be interested in when I just get on and just and just chat. So, um, so yeah, if you want to watch that, that is on the site. 
All right, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. I know Spicy Sarah was, uh, she was in the chat yesterday and she was literally in labor and she was watching this, <laughs> watching me. I was like, really? That's what you're doing? You're what? You're in labor and you were got, and she was like in blinding pain and she's watching me. So anyway, I haven't heard whether um, the child arrived. I'm not exactly sure what's going on, but uh, send some love, send some prayers to her because um, I know her husband just lost his father and so and so as one went out another came in and so um that's just how it works so anyway so hopefully she's a new mama and that would be fantastic so uh happy mother's day to all the mothers um you know the bible actually talks quite a bit about honoring the parents and that's really what we we should do in life even if your parents are you know <laughs> even if your parents are not honorable you still have the father and the mother the mother of all living and the father right the holy father but you know, that's really, um, I would say this, this one of the reasons um, I'm doing what it is I'm doing is that my parents actually gave me um, crazy opportunities in life. They like I had all, you know, it was like wide open as far as like possibilities. And they gave me all these things to really do something with my life. And I always felt like as a younger man trying to figure the shit out, right? I always felt like it would be, I would be remiss if I did not take those opportunities and actually do something great with it, you know? And so that something great led to what it is we're doing here. It ended up leading into places I never thought I would go. You know, the idea that I'm like excited to do a baptism and I'm marrying people and I'm writing a book about Christ. You know, <laughs> that was not in any way, shape or form on my agenda for life at all. But, you know, if you do it right, I think if you do it right, um, you know, It'll lead to the right places anyway. So one of the reasons I'm doing what it is I'm doing is I was given all these opportunities and I was like, you know, if I don't do something great with it, then, you know, shame on me. And so that's the sacrifices that the mother and father make. So honor thy father and thy mother as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. God commands you to, to honor them, you know. Um, and he curseth his father uh, or his mother shall surely be put to death of this too so that's pretty heavy you know it's old old testy stuff there right so okay anyway so happy mother's day to all the beautiful wonderful mothers okay greetings brian rose greetings broken bear greetings thunder chicken small axe spicy sarah much love are you a new mama spicy sarah should we all say congratulations to the wonderful spicy sarah awesome awesome okay what's the name yeah what's the name now spicy sarah what's the news Oh well, let's let's not put her on the spot. She'll she'll share. Okay. So uh, before we get going here, I wanted I wanted to um, it's something I kind of touched on yesterday in this long like extremely long live stream, which I shouldn't be doing three and a half hour live streams. But um, a good a follower, an older gentleman, has been following. Um, he's not on he's not online or anything like that, but he's been following uh, me for a long time. And he just wrote me this morning, and I just want to share this before we get going here. Okay. And I just thought it was really uh, just a really pertinent. <laughs> A really pertinent analogy. So, and it's really what I've been dealing with for many years now, trying to not even combat, but, you know, share true light about the Bible that contradicts pretty much what every Christian out there believes. And that's a, that's a tough road. Um, and it can be very frustrating. Okay, let's just say that. I don't grow hate in my heart for these people at all, but it is frustrating. It is. And it's, um, uh, I'll just say that. So anyway, he says this. He says, all of those orthodox self-proclaimed Christians who do not 
and do not want to fully understand the Bible remind me of the punky, spoiled teenager who was just handed a brand new Formula One racing car by their rich daddy. However, there are two caveats to their gift. Not only was the teenager not given the keys to the car, the teenager doesn't even know how to drive the car. So as the result, the teenager walks around the car and can merely stand there looking at the car and commenting on its appearance like, oh, look at the colors, look at the wheels, look at the pinstriping, look at the engine, the steering wheel, ooh, look at these, you know, look at these graphics on the side, that sort of thing. Then their younger brother Marty comes zooming by in his Formula One racing car and they don't really know what to say other than, hey, Marty, daddy told me you're not supposed to actually drive that car. You're only supposed to look at it and you're going to hell because you're driving the car. And by, those by the time those silly words are out of the teenager's mouth, you are completely out of sight. And that's really how, how, it, how it feels sometimes. Trying to give people the keys to the car to get into the damn thing and drive it, as opposed to just sitting back and, and looking at it and think that you know what it's all about, you know? And so that's what we're trying to do here. So, so I thought that that was a, a good way to start this, so. Okay, um, yeah. Oh, wow. You get to watch two Marty Leeds live streams while in labor. That's, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for you. Okay. We're just kidding. All right. Let's do it. Let's get into the three theological virtues, okay? And these actually come from uh, 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's really short. And then we're going to go into, and what we're going to we're going to do today is we're going to use this as a springboard to understand all of these other, um, you know, all these other things. We're going to talk about the Septuagint, why it's called the Septuagint, which is the Old Testament that was translated into Greek, right? Koine Greek, I think is how you say that. We're going to talk about the number three. We're going to talk about the Trinity today. We're going to talk about what uh, faith really is, okay? What How it's actually defined in the Bible and how pretty much modern day Christianity completely refutes the idea of faith. When they talk about faith, they, in other words, they have no idea what they're talking about. They're actually enveloping or, or um, adhering to a definition that is the exact opposite of the Bible. Okay, so we'll talk about that a little bit today. So, okay, the three theological virtues, what are they? As I hold up the number two. You know, that's the kind of math we do here. Anyway, the three theological virtues. The theological virtues are virtues associated in the Christian theology and philosophy with salvation resulting from the grace of God. And that's really what we seek in this life is grace, the grace from God, because we're not graceful. No one is. <laughs> Like, there's this quote from, oh, who is it? I think it's Henry Rollins or something like that. And he said something to the effect of 50% of life is screwing up and the other 50% is dealing with it, right? Nobody go, especially like truth-seeking, you never do it gracefully. Me coming to understand gematria and sacred geometry, it was a stumble bum. I was screwing up left and right. I even wrote down all the screw-ups that I made in book form, right? Trying to figure the stuff out. And so we seek that, that grace from on high. You seek this divine grace to get you into that flow, to get you into that way, okay? Virtues are traits or qualities which dispose one to conduct oneself in a morally good manner, okay? Traditionally, they have been named three things. And we'll read this today right from Corinthians. Uh, faith, hope, and charity. And charity is understood as love. Okay, in this, and we'll explain that. So, um, and of course, this is Paul the Apostle that's saying this, and also he points out that the greatest of these is charity, the greatest of these is love. So, so, okay. So, and you'll see this all over actually hope, faith, and charity. Um, there's just a bunch of these act of faith, act of hope, really great, like illustrations, you know, promoting these things, you know, meek and lowly, pure and holy, child among the blessed three. Chief among the blessed three, excuse me, chief among the blessed three, and we're going to talk about uh, talk about that. So now, what's interesting is this is why I um, I harp on 
masonry so much or the why I have such a love for masonry is because before I got into like re studying the Bible again, right? And actually getting into it and getting like, re like into the nitty gritty of the thing and really trying to understand it. I had no idea that faith, hope, and charity was a Christian thing. I had no idea. Do you know where I learned it? Masonry. Freemasonry. I thought it was a Masonic thing for the longest time. I was like, oh, cool. They're into faith and hope and charity and stuff like that. So here the, the Masons are extolling. Is that the word? Extolling? I think that's the right word. Extolling the virtues of, of Christian theology as it's written right in, in Corinthians. And most people think these people are devil worshipers. And this is the thing that I always just like harp on. I'm like, I learned, I had, you know, it, once I, once again, re-picked, you know, picked up the Bible again and started really picking through it. I was like, oh, okay, cool. This is where it's from. I had no idea, honestly, right? And so here the, the Masons are promoting this. They're extolling these virtues. You know, this is part of like faith, hope, and charity is like the three, you know, they're like Masonic virtues. At least that's what I thought they were. But no, they're actually Christian. And so this is the this is the really frustrating thing when you when it goes to try to explain a lot of this stuff to people that are just anti-masonry it's like they have no idea that all of this stuff here everything that you're seeing in these graphics here all of those things lead to Christ end of story full stop period end of story full stop period that's what those things lead to and so it's so interesting to see everybody's truth seekers reaction to this stuff and it's like they're promoting Christian values here so Pretty interesting. And this is what you'll get. And this actually comes from Brian at High Impact Vlogs, which I love Brian. I love Brian to death. I love that man. He's a great, he's a good, good man. He really is. Brian at High, he's, what's the deal? And he's got a couple different channels. But, you know, they, he, when it comes to esoterica, really, what, and what I found out over the years is when it comes to esoterica or the mysticism, right, or trying to understand what would be considered these, uh, these things that are occult, right? When it comes to most truth seekers, the bottom falls out. It really does. And that's the most, it's the most um, disheartening thing in the world too because of how much you can actually learn from this stuff. You know, um, if you go in it with the eyes that this is all devil worship, that's all you're gonna see. That's all you'll ever see because you're projecting onto these things what you wanna see or what you assume it is. If you take it seriously, if you, as like I've said for years, if you take this seriously, that, all of that right there, the entire Masonic doctrine, the the, the whole point of it is to actually lead you to God in a, in a, in a, real palpable sense, you know, to, to, to uh, a gnosis and knowing and understanding, okay? So, okay, so let's let's move on. So, so I just looked up, since we're talking about masonry, so I just looked up the theological virtues, and we'll talk about exactly what they are. We'll define them in just a second here. The theological virtues, under the name of the cardinal virtues, so this comes from the Masonic Encyclopedia, okay? Um, yes, the, um, Zoe, so the Lost Keys of Freemasonry by Manly Palmer Hall is a great book. Totally agree with you, Marty. Zoe, Zoe. Yes, it is. It is. It's, it's interesting because people use that book to, to, to make the claim that, that, uh, like Manly Palmer Hall was a Satanist and it's like, like you, you read something out of context and then you picked one thing out of the book that you wanted to see was satanic or something like that. Dismissing the entire book. Like I think it mentions Lucifer once in the book. In a, in a negative context, in a negative context, of course, if you have to read it in the, you know, the, the context of the actual chapter and the, in the, you know, the, the paragraph and stuff like that, right? And then the rest of the book is totally about God and d the divine and stuff like that. But let's forget about all of that and let's just look at this one thing, you know? So once again, very frustrating. It's, it's frustrating. So 
theological virtues under the name of the cardinal virtues because all of the other virtues hinged upon them. So when we look at being a virtuous, moral, upstanding human being, in, a, in essence, what they're saying is all of this stuff can be basically boiled down, it alchemically distilled down to these three things. And why three? We're going to talk about why three today. But the three virtues taught in the theology of St. Paul, faith, hope, and charity, as such, were unknown to them. Um, he's basically talking about the ancient pagans didn't understand this, which is, I totally disagree with that, actually. But that's a different conversation. To these as taking a higher place and being more intimately connected with the relations of man to God, Christian writers have given the name of the theological virtues. They have been admitted into the system of masonry and are symbolized in the theological ladder of Jacob. So here is a fundamental of Christianity. Distilling the your virtueness, your virtuosity? Sure, let's use that one. Your, your virtues down to these three things. And then the Masons are like, yes, let's do that. This is this is what we want to promote, you know, those devil worshippers. So what is charity? Charity is kindness and tolerance in judging others, right? By the way, these are difficult. Well, maybe they're not difficult for you guys. Maybe, maybe you guys are you're just like, well, Marty, I don't know why you're complaining so much. This is actually not that bad. You just have to show love in your heart. Stuff like that. For me, these are some of the most difficult things because you deal with, especially the more knowledgeable you get in these, these things, um, you deal with a lot of crazy ignorance. I mean, out like astronomical ignorance. And that can be difficult to deal with because, you, and it's like you're not, when you judge somebody, of course we have to judge people in everyday, like, oh, that guy's a little skeezy. I don't really want to hang out with that. That's not the judgment you're talking about. The judgment they're talking about is like, you're going to hell. No, you don't get to choose that. You don't get to say who goes to heaven, who goes to hell, who's saved and who's not. This is one of the things that bothers me the most about Christians. Well, they'll, they'll come and say, have you taken Christ as your personal savior? Number one, it's none of your business. Number two, do you even know what you're asking me? Number three, who are you to say who's to go to hell, who's not, who's what, you know? No, that's none of your business, okay? So it's not you to decide. So this is the judgment that they're talking about. And it's all those Christians that hang around like veterans' funerals and stuff like that, being like, yeah, are going to hell and stuff like that. It's like, that's not for you to judge, okay? So there's difference in making judgment calls on a day-to-day -day basis and the judgment that they're talking about here. Eternal judgment is really what they're mentioning here. So charity is kindness, kindness and tolerance in judging others, right? So it's essentially tolerance, like, you know. Faith, and we're going to talk about faith here, uh, um, defining it even more here. It says complete trust or confidence in someone or something, okay? But that's not just based on blind, well, we'll get into it. Okay, we'll get into it, sorry. And then we have hope. Hope is, a, once again, a feeling of trust, okay? That's the archaic sense, right? And it's a hope. It's like, well, we have hope. We have hope and faith in God, that God knows ultimately what he's doing, right? And we talked about this in, I think it was Mark six or seven, I forget what chapter it was, where it was basically like, I think it was, um, was it Paul? Michael, I'm sorry, pulling this out of the back of my brain. Paul, I think, was put into prison, right? And there was no problem because he's like, oh, you know, it was like, oh, I'm in prison and they got me and it was the Roman Empire or whatever it is, right? But because of that, basically all of these people that were in prison were then exposed to the Christian doctrine. And so it was like, oh yeah, you were put in jail. Okay, but God had a plan the entire time. And that's the, that's the feeling of trust that you have to put in the Almighty, right? Um, so that's what that is. Faith is defined, and thank you to Jacob Law for this, because I think he was the one that got me, um, that got me hip to it. Um, and so he, it was, uh, this is Hebrews 11.1. 1. 
Okay, so this is where faith is defined, right? And it's going to be literally the exact opposite of how faith is understood in the modern Christian contemporary doctrine, right? Now, faith is, the, and this is what it says, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Evidence leads to proofs. That's what it is, right? So, like, the idea is that you, faith is the, this is faith, right? Is this, there's a substance to it. It's substantial, right? And there's evidence of these things, of, of the invisible. That's really what it's saying. Faith is not blind acceptance. It's like, well, I'm just reading the Bible and I'm just supposed to have faith in Jesus. And so, therefore, I'm going to take all of these crazy nonsensical stories and just believe them on the face. That's not what faith is at all, at all. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of the things which do appear. So the things that you see, the physical things that you see, are actually made by a metaphysical source. And you can understand that through faith. And there's evidence of that. Okay? So that's what faith is really all about. Um... And I said this, geometry or number, are, geometry and number, as we'll talk about today when we go into the, the, the prominence of the number three, geometry and number are the evidence of things not seen. That's what it is. That's not, you see that flower, and it's not like the flower's like, oh, number five, here, right? No, but what is growing that flower? What, how many petals? So when that thing is unfolding, it's unfolding itself into a pattern of which is a metaphysical source. And when we talk about the metaphysics of math, this is what we say. Um, and this is irrefutable. And this is really what the polymaths and the great mystics of all time have come to, right? This is, this is, the, the, the tr this is what Kabbalah is really all about. It's studying numbers and their, their symbolism, their qualities, and how they interact in the world and that sort of thing, right? Numbers are metaphysical, okay? And which means they're incorruptible, they're beyond um, man's ability to pervert or distort them. And the, the example I give, and I'll give it you know, today, was the number three. The, the number three will always be the number three. The third triangular number is always going to equal six. Three squared is always going to equal nine, right? The internal degrees of a triangle, which is three points becoming one, that's a trinity, is always going to equal 180 degrees, Okay. So three cubed is always going to equal 27. Those are the, the, the divisor. Three is always going to be a prime. Its divisors are always going to be one and three, and it's always going to equal four. Period. Full stop. That's just how it is. Okay? So there's a metaphysical truth. There's an understanding. There's an evidence of that, of that God. Okay, of the, of the divine working within the world. And that's really, what it's, that's really what it's all about. So when we go to, you know, these, these terms, it's like, you know, charity or tolerance, right? The faith is like seeking the substance of things not seen, right? And it's also that complete trust because you know you can trust it. You can trust that three plus three is going to equal six. You don't have to believe anything. You don't have to go to Marty Leeds and be like, well, does three plus three equal six? You can just do the math yourself. Re does not require one ounce of blind acceptance, which is exactly what perverts modern, the modern day understanding of Christianity. Okay? Okay. So, um, faith, hope, and charity. And then we're going to, at the end, we'll look at some of the gematria of this and just kind of unveil it. So let's just read 1 Corinthians. It's third, what is it, 19 verses? Or, not, it's, it's short. It's short. We'll get into it. Okay. 
Um, this is another point before we actually get into the verse. I want to say this. So throughout 1 Corinthians 13, Paul uses the first person in his writing. And some, your literal, your modern day literalist, right, would basically say, oh, well, he's just referring to himself, okay? That's not what the Bible is at all. And this is something that I talked about yesterday is that any good piece of literature draws you into the book. You don't read the book because it's just like a nice story, right? Any actual like, um, you know, classic work of literature or anything like that, which obviously the Holy Bible is, any classic work of literature like that, the, the whole point of the story, the whole point of the book being written is to draw you into the story, is to make you, to put you into the lines of the story, okay? Now, the Bible does this explicitly with the manual. That's another conversation, uh, right? In the beginning of the New Testament, it draws you into the story, okay? It's completely missed by every Christian I've ever met. There's no explanation for that for, in modern Christianity because they don't understand it. End of story, okay? Um, so the whole point when, so when Paul says I, you're supposed to say me. You're, this is you in those pages, drawing you into the pages. So modern day Christians would basically say, he's just referring to himself. This was just written about 2K ago. It's just Paul. He's writing some stuff down. It's like, I think this. No. Yet many argue that the contrary stating that Paul is solely referring to himself. No, no, no. Paul is not referring to himself. Paul, I mean, Yes, in the story he is, but the whole point is to draw you into the story. And this is what that's, you know, that movie Never Ending Stories is about. So the, I don't know if you remember that, but the, the big reveal in the movie, if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, but the big reveal in the movie is that the kid finally figures out that he's in the story. This is the big reveal, right? And so it's, and this is where he's just like, oh my, like he figures it out. Next thing you know, he's like, oh, I'm not just reading this book as it's some separate piece of literature that has nothing to do with my life. No, it's like, whoop, you're drawn right into the thing. Okay. All right. So let's read 1 Corinthians 13 from, obviously, as we know, the authorized King James Version of the Bible, which is what we always use. Okay. Um, let's just go into it. All right. 13, numero uno. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, so though I speak a bunch of really good stuff, right, and have not charity, and charity here, charity and love, and we, are, we just kind of covered that, but let me reiterate that. Charity and love is really, this is in the archaic sense, are one and the same, okay? So when we talk about love, when we talk about charity, we're talking about ultimately the love, the pure love that you have in your heart that you're supposed to emanate out, okay? Um, though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not that charity, have not that love, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Ding, 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 ding. That's all you're doing. Like you're, you're out there and you're saying all of this good stuff and you're speaking of angels. But really, if you don't have it in here and you're not, and you're at, and you don't actually have it in here, right? All it is is ding, 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 ding. That's all you're doing. Just a bunch of nonsense. That's what it's saying. It's saying that you can... In the external, you can appear that you're all this sort of thing. But if you actually don't have it in here, it means nothing, as we're going to see. And although, and though, and this is the other, this is the next thing he says. Basically, it's like you could have a head full of knowledge and stuff like that. But if you don't have it in your heart, you got nothing. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries. Ooh, you're Mr. Smarty Pants, aren't you? And all knowledge. And though I have all faith so that I could, I could remove mountains I've got, the, I've got this power of prophecy and understanding the mysteries and the knowledge. I can move mountains. I'm standing next to a mountain. Chop it down with the edge of my hand. Small axe knows what I'm talking about. He knows what I'm talking about there. 
So he says, I can, I can remove mountains, but if I don't have faith, or if I don't have charity, excuse me, I'm nothing. Think about what's being said there. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, you're burning yourself out, and I give everything away to the poor, and I have not charity, you don't have that honest love in your heart, it profiteth me nothing. Think about that. It's like, well, I was, you know, I go down to the VFW every Saturday. I'm there for every Saturday for the for the pancake breakfast, and I've been there, and I always wear my nice suit, and I'm and I've been serving those sausages, the links and the patties every Saturday, and I've been there. Who gives a shit? Was it here? Did you actually have the love in your heart? Otherwise, guess what? It means nothing. Nada. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. In other words, you're not going around being like, look how special I am, look how awesome I am. Look at, you know. Like I said, this, the interesting thing about these virtues, at least for me, some of the hardest ones, because, well, we'll, we'll get into it, we'll get into this in a second. Actually, do I have it here? I'll tell you why, it's one of the hardest ones. Is it this? Because the devil, Right. The, once again, the, the devil is what? A personification of all the evil in the world. No, obviously there's not some dude with some horns and a trident and he's got some red wings and he's going around shackling you. No, obviously not, right? What is the devil? He's the personification of all the evil. In the, the, that's, what the, that's what the devil wants to do. It wants to draw hate out of your heart. It wants to take those theological virtues and smash them up in a blender and pour it in down a hole and bury it. And think about the whole COVID thing, about like what, what, what was the, the impetus for, behind all of that when it, when it comes down to the, you know, the 150 people that run the world or whatever we want to say, right? What were they trying to do? Divide. That's what they were trying to do. They were trying to make you hate your neighbor, make you hate all these people. And you can get frustrated at your neighbor. You can call your neighbor or that sort of thing if they're being idiotic. Well, you're being kind of an idiot. You're insanely ignorant. There's nothing wrong with that. But if it comes from a place of hate, you know, most of the people that I know, and I'll say this, most of the people that call these people out are doing it out of love because they're like, we don't want you to go down that road. We know what that road is. We know that that road leads to that. Okay? So, you know, there's plenty of verses in the Bible that talk about rebuking evil to call to call that stuff out, and it is necessary. But ultimately, you have to understand, as as we know, that that scintillar spark of God is within everybody. So you hate that, you hate that, you hate it in here, and you hate that in there. What you're doing is hating God. That's what you're doing, and that's why it's it's a command, it's a commandment from God that you love your enemy and your neighbor. It's like the one, it's like the one thing, right? So, um, all right, where are we? Okay, yeah, let's keep going. Oh, I just want to say this. Prophecy, by the way, speaking of all the knowledge of the mysteries and stuff, prophecy, if you uh, separate the, the, the consonants and the vowels, it's 22 and 7. So, and 22 divided by 7 is 3.142. So, that's an interesting one, I thought. So, anyway, just a, just a fun little one there. So, we'll talk a little bit about pi, too. What does pi, what does pi start with? 3. Do not behave, um, charity doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. These are mantras that you, that you should probably be putting in your head, right? Because um, I've failed. 
at these many times. It's confession, confessional here. Rejoice, rejoiceth not in iniquity. You know, when iniquity is anger and that, basically in general, there's like an antagonism. But rejoiceth in the truth, right? How many, how many, think about, think about how difficult it is for a lot of people to come out like as a flat earther, right? Think, of, think about that. You're, you're going to receive hate. You're going to be called an idiot. You're going to be called, oh, you're ignorant. You're anti-science. You're a science denier. Don't you understand gravity? Blah, 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 right? And you know the truth. You know that you've been handed a whole pile of horse apples and you're asked to drag that horse cart, the apple cart around and being like, right? And we've rejected it. We've said no. And how many people are rejoicing in that truth? They're doing, they're, they're, they're extolling once again, they're living those virtues, okay? Beareth all things, uh, 13.7 says, Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Meaning, essentially, life is going to pour onto you a bunch of difficulties. There's, life is going to pour on you a big freaking labyrinth. It's going to pour on you. Every once in a while, you're going to get, you know, when it rains, it pours and it's going to pour some defecation on your life, right? If you know what I'm saying. And you have to bear all of it, right? That's the thing. Endureth all these things. And basically, there's this whole notion that I heard this a long time ago that God's not going to give you anything that you can't bear, okay? He's going to give it to you because he's going to be challenging you down here. It is a challenge. That's what we're here for. It's a rites of passage, which means you're going to have to have some obstacles, okay? God is going to give you those obstacles and... I would say the closer that you get to the top of that mountain, the more obstacles you're going to get, the more people that you're going to get hating you, the more people that are going to call you an idiot. Okay? Trust me on that one. So, charity never faileth, right? This is where this is where the 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 notion that love never faileth, right? Charity never faileth. This is the this is the this notion that God is infallible. Okay? Men fallible all day long, right? But that love because as we know, Christ is love. God is love. That sort of thing. As it repeats in the New Testament, we know that. Old Testing, not so much. I wonder why that is. So, never fails. Infallible. God's love is infallible. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. It's once again saying this thing that if you don't have the love, all of this stuff means nothing. For we know love is wholeness. And that's really what they're, they're saying here. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Okay? But, that, but when that which is perfect is come, God's perfect love, then that which is in part shall be done away. Look at the language here. This is mathematical, really is what it is in one sense. What's in part? To some extent, though, not entirely. So if we have a big circle, in other words, we're going to prophesy, we're going to, we're going to uh, prophesy, we're going to know in part, we're going to, right, we're going to have these little slices of the pie, right? But when, but when the perfect is come, when God's perfect love is come, then we'll be what? We won't be in part, we'll be whole. All of, the entirety of, a thing that is complete in and of itself. That's what we will be. This is monotheism. This is monotheism. This is the this is the crux of the Trinity too. There's three. This is why people argue about this stuff all the time. I find it so funny. It's like, well, the, the Trinity they believe in three separate gods, and what happens to those three separate gods? They become one. It's literally the definition of Trinity: tri unity, tri unity, three unity. 
okay? It's actually an unbelievable philosophy, really, to help you understand the oneness of God, okay? So we'll understand in part, but when we see that whole love, then, then, then we're going to get in that Formula One race car. We're going to freaking put the keys in. We're going to turn it, and we're going to put the pedal to the freaking metal. We're going to drive the damn thing, okay? When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. I mean, so freaking good. So freaking good. So um, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put childish things away. I'll just, I'll just finish this and then I'm going to talk a little bit about it. For now, right now, when we're seeing in part, right? In other words, when we're not seeing the whole love. For now, we see through a glass darkly. We got those like Coke bottle glasses on and they've got like a full tint on and we're like looking around being like, oh, what? it's like my, my dog, Willie, right? He's, he can only see in part until he reaches his mom's lap. Then it's the whole love. So for now, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. Other, what, is they, what are they saying there? Think about, let's read this again. For now we see through a glass darkly. We can't see the whole thing, right? We got the shaded view because we're only seeing in part. But then when I get face to face with God, when I get face to face with the wholeness, now, now I know in part, right? There's a, there's a colon there, right? So it's separating the sentences. So he's basically repeating what he said in the first sentence, right? For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. We see in part, then whole. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known, I will know myself as God knows me. That's what he's saying. I will know, I will see face to face and I will see the mirror reflected right back and be like, oh, oh, I get it. I get it. In the tarot deck, this is coming, this is going from, and we'll do the tarot deck at some point. Lectures coming up, tarot deck. We're going to do, uh, finish up Mark. Um, I think we're going to just end up doing the whole chapter Finish up, Mark. We're going to talk about uh, Baphomet and the devil and stuff like that. We're also going to do one on let's talk about astrology um, and, and, and decipher some of that sort of stuff. So anyway, so but then shall I know even also as I am known. As God knows me, then I'll know it, which is what? Pure, unadulterated, no separation, no like, oh, we've got part over here. No, it's the whole love, right? And now abideth, abideth means to live in. Faith, hope, charity. These three Three, okay? But the greatest of these is charity, is love, okay? So what are the child... So I'm going to read this again. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away the childish things. What are the childish things that we need to put away, right? Well, I would say these are some of the childish things. And these are all... By the way, these are all um, tests in, in one sense. We're given all of these things in life to basically distract us from what, what we're here to do, right? And there's a certain group of people that are really pretty good at this. I'll let you figure that out. So childish things. What are childish things? Video games. Grown men playing freaking video games. Petty fights. Hollywood entertainment. Now, there's nothing wrong with entertainment, by the way. In fact, entertainment in moderation is actually a really good thing. It's not saying don't entertain yourself. That's not what we're saying here. It's that when people... You know, it's like they'll they'll base their entire lives on going to watch movies or going to the theater or like getting the next freaking DVD or Blu-ray or whatever the hell they're doing now, right? It's all of those sorts of things. I think everything's streamed. Anyway, shows how old I am. 
it's like giving up your life to this stuff. There's nothing wrong with watching a football game. There's nothing wrong with going to see a movie or something like that. But ultimately, if you're basing your entire life on this stuff, you're, you're living as a child. You're living in this infantilized state is really what it is. Video games, petty fights about stuff, right? Hollywood entertainment, politics. Politics is one of the most childish things as I've learned, as I've learned to become a man and put away the childish things. I've learned politics is such a stupid ass, infantilizing thing to even put any focus on. Why are you taking your divine self and then wallowing in the mud with a bunch of people, Democrats and the Republicans, that don't give two shits about you or your family or this country or the future, and you, you relate yourself to these things. What are you? Well, I'm a Democrat. I'm a Republican. No, you're not. That's childish as hell. Put it away. Social media. Put it away. I'm not on any social media anymore besides my Telegram group just because I like some place where people can go and chat, but I hardly ever post. Living without God. There's another damn childish thing we need to put away, huh? Screen time, doing all this. I'm, and that's a difficult one for a lot of us, right? Whenever I'm on my phone anymore, it's I'm, I'm basically putting these things together. Otherwise, you know, I'm putting it away. In fact, I was sick the other week and I spent two days just on the couch and I could, my brain was just not working so I couldn't read and I couldn't, you know, I couldn't like put anything together. I couldn't write. I wasn't going to play music or anything like that. So I just sat on, on the couch and I ended up watching YouTube for about a day and a half, two days straight. And it was, it was an absolute waste of time. <laughs> it was like, I was like, there's hardly anything good on it. So it's not, it's childish. Put it away. Professional sports, once again, nothing wrong with going to watch a game and stuff like that. But if you're donning, you know, your gear all the time and stuff like that, and that's the only thing that you relate to in this world, like I'm a freaking, you know, LA Rams fan or whatever. Is that the LA Rams? I don't even know. I, I don't know. Anyway, you know what I'm saying? Those are the childish things. There's some more childish things that we need to put away. We talked about this uh, in the Easter Easter service, by the way, which, by the way, um, you know, the closed captioning that you get. Am I still live here? Okay. Oh, yeah, I'm sure I'm going to anger somebody with this. It's like, I play video games another. Okay, anyway. Um, by the way, my, you know the closed captioning that you get? So, like, in the YouTube automatically does it, right? So, on my Easter service, so if you can go and you can check this out, right? You can go to any of my videos and the closed captioning will be on. Except on my Easter service. <laughs> YouTube. <laughs> so, what, are, what else are some childish things? Believing in improvable stuff right? Putting your faith into what men tell you, explanations of things, because that's what a theory is. A theory is an explanation for things. It's not proof. A theorem is A, A squared plus B squared equals C squared. A theory or theorem, a theorem is, hey, three times three is nine. Those are theorems. Those are provable things, okay? Do you know what's not provable? All this stuff that we are bombarded with. Theories. Theories that you're hung, that some of these theories that have been around for 100, 150 years, whatever it is, that have still not proven out, have still not been able to be proven out, people are still clinging to. It's childish. This is exactly what it is. It's absolutely childish. Theory of relativity, right? Quantum theory. Ooh, ooh, 16 quarks and gluons. Gravitational theory, theory of evolution, germ theory, conspiracy theory, critical race theory, game theory. They're childish. That's what it is. We don't seek people's stupid explanations for what's going on in the world. We seek proofs. We seek, once again, we seek that evidence 
of, where are we? Well, you guys know, the evidence. That's what we seek of. Something substantial that helps us understand. That's what faith is, okay? So put it away. Put it away. Face to face, by the way, they, they, uh, they mention this all over the Bible. And says, and, and Jacob called, this is really a good one, right? This, is, this is, shows you that the Bible knows what it's doing. So Genesis 32.30 says this, and this is one Bill Donahue talked about a lot, right? And Jacob called the name of the place Pineal. Pineal. The Pineal, right? Remember why I said last Sunday that the Bible, will, this is what the Bible will do. The Bible will go along and they'll be telling the story. And then the multitude came and then they went into a ship and then they got in the shore and then they got out and then Jesus went to this blind dude and he put his hands on him and he was like, and then it'll give you a word, right? Like Dalmanutha. And you're like, what, what does that mean, right? The Bible's doing this expressly to get you to under, to focus on that word and say, hey, there's a mystery here, right? And Jacob called the name of the place Pineal, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. This is exactly what Corinthians is talking about. When we see, we see in part until we see face to face, then what do we see? The whole kit and caboodle. Okay? The all-embracing arms of God. So, so the devil wants to draw that charity, that love out of your heart. That's that's his game. That's his game. He wants to do everything in your empowered division, you know, uh, entertainment, whatever it is. All of these things that you're presented with in your life to distract you from what, you're, what it is you're doing here. Okay? Okay. So, that's a, that, when we'll get back to faith, love, and, um, or excuse me, uh, hope, faith, and charity in just a bit here. But I want to talk about the number three. Like, I think this is a good way to springboard and actually, um, how many we got watching right now? 125. Good. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm a Raider fan. Andrew Mason that says, but I don't let them rule my life. That's exactly what I'm saying, right? No, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with watching a football game or something like that. But there's this thing that it, it literally becomes a religion for people. Politics does the same thing. Politics becomes a... I can tell you that there's some people in this little area that I'm at right now that they're, they don't... Their religion is basically their political position and watching CNN and having the news tell them what to think. It's childish. You're not thinking for yourself. You're not challenging anything. You're 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 relating yourself to basically the lowest common denominator. <laughs> you know? Do you know why women didn't? Uh, side note here. Do you know one of the reasons that women didn't vote back in the day is because? And this is this. You can look this up too. Look this up. There was like a big movement. There was the suffragette movement and the anti-suffragette movement. Right? It was like we need to vote. Women need the right to vote. And the other, the, there was a bunch of women that was actually str more people. More women were saying. No, we don't want the right to vote. Do you know why? You know why that is? Because men understood, at least back in the day, we really need to revitalize this and, and resurge this idea in our modern day society, right? That politics are pigs. They roll around in the freaking mud. And women are too good for that. So, um, it's childish to relate yourself to that low, lowest common denominator, okay? So let's talk about the number three, okay? Um, everywhere, this is, once again, this comes from the Masonic Encyclopedia. If you really want to start understanding these mystic, the, all, the mysticism of the Bible, there, there you go. Walk yourself down to a, a lodge or start, you don't even have to do that. Just start picking up some of these books and you will educate the heck out of yourself, okay? Three, everywhere among the ancients. So here are the, 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 the three virtues are alchemically distilled down to, you know, or all the virtue. I'll say this, all the virtues in the world, right, according to the Holy Bible here, New Testy, are all distilled down to these three things. Why three? Why is the, th why is the Trinity the three? Why? 
Okay, let's let's talk about it. Uh, three, everywhere among the ancients, the number three was deemed the most sacred of numbers. Three and seven, really, right? One, three, and seven, actually. Uh, reverence for its mystical virtues is to be found even among the Chinese, who say that numbers begin at one and are made perfect at three. Okay, um, in the philosophy of Plato, it was the image of the supreme being. A number was the image of the supreme being. Um, it was the image of the uh, supreme being because it includes in itself the properties of the first two numbers. Okay, the Pythagoreans call it perfect harmony. So sacred was this number deemed by the ancients that we find it designating some of the attributes of almost all the gods. The thunderbolt of Jove was three-forked. The scepter of Neptune was a trident. Cerebus, the dog of Pluto, was three-headed. There were three fates and three furies. The sun had three names, Apollo, Sol, and Liber. And the moon also three names, Diana, Luna, Hecate, whatever. In all the incantations, three was a favorite number. We talked about this, right? When we did the... the, the um, uh, Easter service, right? It was the the uh, it was Pontius Pilate, and he's asking the crowd, and he asks the crowd three times. And apparently, I believe there's a thing in common law as well that if you say something three times, like "Don't come on my property," "Don't come on my property," "Don't come on my property," kind of thing, right? Um, there's a reason for it because it's faith based. Let's say that a triple cord was used, each cord of three different colors, white, red, and black. In uh, Virgil says, uh, "God delights in an odd number." So uh, I just want to read some more. The Druids, right? All those pagans. The pagans pay, uh, pay no less respect to the sacred number. Throughout their whole system, a reference is constantly made to its influence. And so far did their veneration for it extended. They even sacred poetry was made in triads, okay? In all the mysteries from Egypt to Scandinavia, we find a sacred regard for the number three. In the rites of Mithras, the Empyrean was said to be supported by three intelligences, Ormazad, I think, Mithra and Mithras. In the rites of Hindustan, there was the trinity of Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. It was, in short, a general character of the mysteries to have three principal officers and three grades of initiation. This is something, once again, when you do um, comparative study and sort of the, the mysteries, right? The mystery schools, things like that, right? Um, and even in religions, you'll find that there's three principal office, officers or more often three grades of initiation. In, in um, the Blue Lodge of Masonry, it's the three, it's right, it's um, entered, apprentice, master mason, and fellowship craft. I said that in the wrong order, but you get it. There's three degrees. Most people think it's 33. No, that's the Scottish Rite. So that shows you how much people get wrong with masonry. So in Freemasonry, the ternary is the most sacred of the mystical numbers. Okay. Um, just one more thing here. Um, uh, basically just says, hey, they're in the degrees of masonry, three principal officers, three supports, three greater and three lesser lights, three movable and three uh, immovable jewels, three principal tenants, three working tools of the fellow craft, three principal orders of architecture, three chiefs human senses, three ancient grand masters. In fact, everywhere in the system, the number three is presented as a prominent symbol. And this is one of the things when I started studying masonry, it was like you were just bombarded by it. You know, he's just like, here, three, three. Oh, by the way, three, hey, three. In case you were wondering, three, right? Why? Because they're trying to get you to understand God. But in, but in nothing is the Masonic um, signification of the ternary made more interesting than its connection with the sacred delta symbol, which is the triangle, the symbol of deity. And we'll cover that today. Um, my bud Amor over there, which by the way, I forgot to mention because I get yammering and stammering here. Every Sunday 
after uh, after this, Amor should have a, a, an upload over there. So if you go to Gnostic Revelation Mysteries, Gnostic Revelation Mysteries, um, he should have. I don't know if he has one today or not, but um, so he he just did this. He literally was just talking about this in his last stream. Uh, or his last video, it says the mystical path. And this is what you'll find in mysticism. You'll find three things, purification, illumination, and glorification, right? In general. Um, this is what, and uh, Amor brought this up and he actually talks about it in one of his, in one of his books. I think, it's, I think it's the Christic Mysteries, he talks about it. Um, that orthodoxy lauds the number three, okay? And yet they seem to have lost the meaning to this stuff. They still hold this stuff up and like cherish it as like divine. But then when it comes to actually understanding any of the anagogic underneath, it's like the mysticism is completely thrown out. It's like all you have is a husk and a shell, okay? So there's basically, this, this comes from essentially orthodoxy. Um, it's three stages of prayer. The first level is oral prayer where you're just saying, oh, God, Father, etc. Then there's the mental prayer, right? Then there's the thinking of this. And this is the really sort of the... Um, the constant meditation on Christ, really, that your life is a walking meditation on Christ is really what it is, mental prayer, right? And then the third level is prayer of the heart. It comes right here. It's the charity, right? It's the prayer that comes straight from the wholeness of the love of God, okay? Um, and th so this is another orthodox thing, and this is the things that actually, that there's three things that drive you away from this this virtue, this living this, living this life of virtue, right? Ambition or the love of glory, Right. This is the thing I bitched about for years with people online. It was like there was so many people that were truth seekers that it's like they were just really trying to like gain Instagram subscribers and talking about how many. Oh, I've got 80,000 subscribers on YouTube. That, that, that means something like, you know, it doesn't know. And that you're not actually your, your ambition is not to actually seek truth and, 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 and uh, purvey that truth to the world. Your ambition is the love of glory. You know, you want to be you want to be the guy that has the red carpet always rolled out for you. Right. And then, then this is, once again, this comes from the Orthodox Church Association. I'm not, I'm not sure. It's Father Berzonsky that's saying this, right? How and this is what he says. How sad to see the sin dominate many, even among the leaders of the church. Ambition, love of glory. Okay? Once again, the, the three things that drive you away from that virtue, in, in essence. Sensuality or the love of pleasure, right? How, I, how many people see, seek that? Whether it's in all sorts of ways. We know I've, I've got a lot to cover here, so I want to want to keep going but you know just big love of money right it pains me to hear of the boasting even from my fellow orthodox of their wealth as though that were to their spiritual credit <laughs> like right you know and that's i mean that's that's really what it is like look at all this stuff that i have look at all i've amassed and i've earned it because i've done so well in this life that all of that all of that materiality right is driving you away from the true virtue okay Tesla, by the way, loved to do things in three. Uh, Tesla, with brilliance often comes eccentricity. I don't think he was eccentric at all. I think that he was probably knew exactly what he's doing and knew exactly the life he lived. And he was walking around a bunch of people that were insanely ignorant. I think that's what was up with Tesla. I don't think he was eccentric at all. Tesla had obsessive compulsive disorder. Did he? Or are you just not understanding? Uh, which compelled him to do things in threes, including only inhabiting a hotel room that was divisible by the number three. He had an obsession with pigeons and an aversion to women wearing ear, etc., etc., etc. So, and then he suffered a nervous breakdown when he was young. Yeah, so did I. <laughs> so, so there's that. A nervous breakdown. Are you sure it wasn't 
a break a breaking away of all the falsities a breaking away of all the ignorance are you sure he didn't actually have a great revelation that was like oh wow i guess i am looking around and everybody's full of shit and i actually know some stuff and i'm going to pursue that i'm going to have the gumption and the gall and the strength and the fortitude to go out in life and i'm going to walk around a building three times and i don't give a damn hoot what people think about it because i know the power of three tesla was allegedly a pretty smart guy right Three, by the way, was the thing that brought me to this. Is, three and the Trinity was the, was the kickoff of this everything that I've been doing. By the great work was basically a celebration of the number three, right? That's what that's what the the inspiration was to to write that book because I was like, pi, what pi is it? It's like well, you can't have like three point one four one cats and you can't have like three point one four one chickens and you know that sort of thing. So. But why there's that prominent number three at the beginning of this most mysterious of, of uh, numbers, right? And it was just a constant question. It was like all those mysteries were in my head. And I was like, oh, God, you know. So it was all really brought to me by the number three, this whole thing, a number, okay? Um, you'll see three all over the Bible, too. Once again, I'll just cover this real quick. We heard him say, I will destroy the temple. It was made within three days and three days. And he was in the belly three days and three months and three this and three that. I mean, you'll see it all over. And he said, again, God, build it in three days. And then three days, of the, save thyself. If thou son be to come to the ground. And three days, I will rise again, Christ said. And after three days, they have nothing to eat and they still follow me. You know, we just covered Mark 8, 2, and, right? I have, and it said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat, right? This is an insanely poetic thing that he's saying here, right? And most literalists would be like, well, it was just the multitude, and they were with him exactly three days. It was exactly 72 hours. No. Nope. It's trying to get you to understand the Trinity of all things, right? The Trinity is... Uh, once again, anybody that has any questions about the Trinity is like, well, that's a Catholic thing, or it's this here, or, you know, the Trinity's nonsense. It was like, no, the Trinity is straight in the Bible, okay? So denouncing the Trinity is basically saying that you don't understand the New Testament. If you're denouncing the Trinity, it means you haven't read or understand the, some of the key principles within the New Testament. And I'll say that to anybody. I don't care who it is. Sorry, I'm not trying to be offensive or anything like that. It's just a fact. You can't possibly understand even the role of Christ being the second part or per person of the Trinity. You can't even understand why that is without understanding this whole idea of three becoming one. Okay? And that's what, once again, Trinity means, triunity. This is the end of Matthew. Matthew, you, Math, Matthew. Uh, 28, 19. 28 verses in Matthew, or 28 chapters in Matthew, excuse me. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, Christ says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. He doesn't say baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son. He doesn't say baptize them in the name of the Holy Ghost here. He says specifically, he's giving you these three things. You're baptizing one person in three things, right? Then in, this is, um, what is this? 1 John 5, 7. 1 John 5, 7 says this specifically. They're, they're, he's telling you the Trinity. This is why I find it so strange that people would even argue about any of this. It's, it's smack dab in the Bible. It tells you explicitly. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Okay? And then it even goes on to say there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. It's two verses that are just like, look, three become one. Okay, 
Um, this, the Trinity, by the way, is, has expressions all over it. It has expressions in geometry. It has expressions in a chord. Like if you play a chord on guitar, right? That's usually three. I mean, you can play you know, multiple notes on a chord. Don't get me wrong. But your basic chord, your triad, is literally your, 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 your root, your octave, and then your fifth. Right. This is your classic power chord on a guitar. So in music, it's got a, a trinity. Right. You, you have trinity. There, there's a trinity right there. It's three angles or three points becoming one. So in other words, this idea of the trinity is faith based, which means it's not based on blind acceptance. It's based on things that are provable. OK. John Anthony West says this. Um, this comes from my book, Lord Jesus Christ. Three. Lord Jesus Christ. Three names for that duder. Right. A relate John Anthony West says this. May he rest in peace. Great man. A relationship must be established between opposing forces. The establishment of relationship is in itself the third force. Okay? So in other words, you have a mother and you have a father. Okay? And then you can say, well, they come together and then they have a child and then the child is the third thing. Nope. Nope. Yeah, you could look at it that way. But what is the third force that brings supposed to bring a mother and father together? Love. It's the thing that's between them that's transcendent of the actual physical beings, right? Just as Christ is the transcendent, that brings the things together. It's the unifier, okay? Um, one in becoming two becomes three simultaneously. One, two, oh, add one and two, add one and two together, it becomes three. The becoming is the third force, automatically providing the intimate and necessary and mysterious reconciling principle this is what the mercury this is what mercury is all about right mercury is that reconciliation of the opposites right there's like i shouldn't be talking about this because i'm so not versed in this subject whatever but electricity right is this idea that you have okay the north and south polarity right but then you have the energy that comes from that right uh, or you could say um an electric current right you have like a the, the two polarities and the energy that comes from it um, Henry Adams says this, I tell you the solemn truth that the doctrine of the Trinity is not so difficult to accept for a working proposition as any one of the axioms of physics. In other words, if you're trying to understand the physical world and the, the world that you live in, you probably want to put the Trinity right here. Put it right in your head. And then look out in the world and you're going to start understanding it, okay? Um, oh, I have this wrong. The triad pervades our lives. The principle of uh, this, Michael S. Schneider says this, okay? Once again, we're just talking about the number three here. The triad pervades our lives. Amen. The triad is everywhere, okay? This is why the Trinity is so important, okay? Because once again, when you understand this, which is considered a religious idea, but it's not. It's actually a scientific, it has its, it has its, um, Oh, it has its relationship in geometry and music and time itself, as we'll see, okay? The triad pervades our lives. The principle of the triad is seen in the braid. Think about a braid. When you braid hair, you're taking the left and your right, and you're bringing them together into, an, into one. Think about the kundalini. She, or, I'm sorry, um, Ida, Pingala, right? You got those two serpents, and then ultimately what? There's a shishumna that cuts straight up through it, okay? Um, the principle of the triad is seen in the braid that a minimum of three elements is required to weave into a whole teaches us how to reconcile conflict. No enduring resolution of any kind is, po is possible without three aspects. Two opposites and a neutral binding, balancing, arbitrating, transforming presence. That's what the third is. Knowing how to choose the third factor means the difference between a conflict's resolution and its perpetuation. It's really, in one sense, choosing the higher road. This is what the, this is what the pyramid and the triangle is all about. You've got those two base to slope angles, 
And you can hang down here with the mother and the father. You can hang down here with the Shiva and the Shakti. You can hang down here with the yin and the yang. But ultimately, you want to go straight up to the apex of that triangle and get what? The love of God. Okay? This is what's on the back of the dollar bill. Most people look at that and they think, oh, this is the Masons, the evil Masons, and they're doing this and that sort of stuff. And my Lord, that symbol is a symbol of the love of God. In fact, the all-seeing eye of God is a symbol of the Trinity. It's, it's the three aspects of God, omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, becoming one. Most people are looking at, at, looking at that and seeing evil. Well, boy, the devil's been doing his work, ain't he? The Holy Trinity has a direct geometric corollary to the triangle. The singular triangle with its three separate points equates perfectly and elegantly to the three different aspects of the Father, the Son or the Word, and the Holy Ghost, united as the Almighty God. This is what monotheism is all about. It's all about bringing it back to oneness, right? The idea that the three main Abrahamic faiths think they're all monotheistic and they think that they're all separate gods shows that those faiths have completely lost their way. Every single one of them. Um, in our number line, the third point emerges from the first two, um, brings the harmony between the polarities. It is the firstborn of the unity of opposites as this third brings us right back to the one. So we got those two points here, right? And then that, that transcendent point comes up here. And as soon as it does, all of a sudden we got a triangle. We're right back to one. Time itself is segmented by the number three with past, present, and future. This is what the Trinity is all about. And merging into one movement. This is easily acknowledged in the creator, father of the future, the destroyer, the Holy Ghost of the past, as ghost or spirit is a direct reference to the spiritual or deathly worlds, that's what a spirit or ghost is, and the preserving force of the eternal life of Christ, the present. That's the third force. That's the, he's the second person of the Trinity because he is between the Father, the Creator, and, the, and the, the Holy Ghost, which is the destroyer. And what is he? He's taking those two opposites that would be, in, in essence, in this, say, in this sense, antagonistic. It's not really, of course, because they unify into one. But he's the third point. He's that point that's the, the love, right? It is incredibly rational and reasonable to see just why so many cultures the world over celebrated the Trinity or the Triunity. And this is what enamored me. When I was doing comparative religious study, you would see the Trinity everywhere. Now, Christians would come along and be like, no, that's not our Trinity. That's not our number three? Is the, is the, oh, do we, is the Hindus have their own special number three and the Christians over here have their special number three? And oh, the, the pagans over here, they have their, no, there is only the number three. What you've done, what these religions have done, have come and they saw things with, I don't know, a glass darkly. They've seen things in part as opposed to seeing the whole. Well, shame on you. Sorry. And the number three, because everyone experiences the three, let me say this again, it is incredibly rational and reasonable to see just why so many cultures the world over had celebrated the Trinity or the tri unity and the number three because everyone experiences the same three stages of the unity of time we all experience the exact same thing of time right future past the present and ultimately what is the what is the the i mean profound realization that there really is only that one moment of the now and that's christ okay and then the lesson is he's always here no christ didn't die and was dead for three days, gods don't die. That's a story. What is the story ultimately telling you about? Your death and resurrection, right? If God died, actually died, 
wouldn't all of creation just go poof? From the Celtic Triscal, to the Italian Trinacria, to the French Fleur de Lis, to the Nordic Tree Fought in Valknut, the Nordic shit, man. There's like there's like trinities all day long in that. Uh, to the Egyptian Isis, Osiris, Horus, to the Vedic Shiva, Brahman, and Vishnu, the presence of the Holy Trinity is undeniable. The number three is heralded across the known world, okay? Um, what else do we got here? The, uh, let me just go on to say this. I just want to say a couple things about the number three and why it just is so important. And once again, we're, we're saying this because hope the three theological virtues, the cardinal virtues of Christianity, you got an entire book, right? A thousand, how many thousand page book, whatever it is. And essentially you can distill all of this book down to three things, okay? And then out of those three things, there's the one that stands above. And that's what he says out of the, wait, here, let me just repeat it here. Let's go back. He says this, he says, and now abideth in faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these three, right, is charity, is the love, is what he's saying. So, okay, the number three is the source of all actuality and number, for within three we find the creation of the triangle. Three points or three lines coming together to make the first form to encapsulate any surface area or space. It is with three... It is with three that we find the creation of the first material form in two dimensions. So when we look at just a you know piece of paper, two dimensions, right? Two, two points, one point, you just got a point. It can be infinitely large, infinitely small. You got two points, right? Still no space, no plane for movement. All of a sudden, boom, you bring Christ into it. You bring that third point into it, right? The charity. Next thing you know, you've got a, a space or plane for movement, okay? It's construction of the universe understood geometrically, okay? And... It is with these three that we find the creation of the first material form in two dimensions. What we may be, what we may deem, what I like to deem as the embryonic polygon of creation. The triangle is the prima materia of the alchemical great work and the primordial archetype of nature. Time itself is based on this. Okay, whether we add or multiply, this is one of the the interesting like qualities of the number three, and it only happens with the number three. Whether we add or multiply one, two, three, the resulting sum is six. So one plus two plus three equals six. 1 times 2 times 3 equals 6, okay? Um, this all springs from 0, by the way. That's a septenary system. 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 is an actual like septenary system. So hence one of the reasons, yet again, the creation story of Genesis is based on 6 resting on 7. It's brought to you by the number 3. 1 plus 2 plus 3 equals 6. 1 times 2 times 3 equals 6. doesn't work with 2, 3, 4. 2 times 3 times 4 is, you know, whatever. 2 plus 2, two plus 3 plus 4 is, you know, it doesn't equal, right? This phenomenon is special because this occurrence happens with no other three sequential numbers besides 1, 2, and 3. Um, uh, this is another quote from um, Michael S. Schneider, uh, the Beginner's Guide to Constructing the Universe, which is a must-have. If you're part of this church, I would highly recommend getting that book. Um, it's a great, it's a beginner's guide, and it's also for the more advanced, too, right? Because it's just so fantastic. Since one and two were considered by ancient mathematical philosophers to be the parents of number, then the firstborn three, the Greek triad, is the first of an eldest number, okay? Its geometric expression, the equilateral triangle, is what we're talking about here, is the initial shape to emerge through the portal of the Vescopisis, the first of the many, Okay. And we talked about this, actually, the Vesca Pisces in a few live streams ago. And I, I said that when you do your basics in sacred geometry, you'll draw the Vesca Pisces, which is a symbol of Christ. 
It's where we get the Jesus fish. And one of the first things you'll do is you'll draw triangles in that in that Vesca Pisces. Okay. We'll just say, we'll just say this. Okay. Um, three brings together. Uh, three brings harmony to opposition forever uniting and balancing them. A man and woman cannot produce a child without the force of attraction, desire, love, or affinity. And that's, that's that third force. The third, point this, the third point establishes this abiding relationship or accord. Lord Jesus Christ plays this role as the second person of the Trinity. He is the great uniter, bringing wholeness to opposition as Jesus unifies the Father and the Holy Ghost as the apex of the Trinity, as the eternal present Christ eternally establishes the harmonious balance, eternally establishes the harmonious balance between the contraries of creation and destruction, uniting them under the oneness of the Almighty. If people think, people think, when's the end days? When's the end days? Are you trying to kill off Christ? Christ is eternal. There are no end days in Christ. Christ eternally establishes the harmonious balance between the, and by the way, the, the Old Testament even says that the, 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 the earth shall abideth forever. Uh, uniting them under the oneness of the Almighty. Jesus Christ is deemed both Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, and thus he is the bridge or that which establishes the relationship between the polarities. This is what is being said. One of the many, many things that are being said in, in these verses. I think you read this in couple different places revelation i believe where he says he's at the end of revelation but um i am alpha and omega beginning and end i'm the beginning and the end i'm both of those things i'm uniting them and is a unification right and so that's that's what it's all about so this is what you know this is what living in faith hope it's living with the trinity okay so there, yet again, another expression, once again, alchemically distilling down all the virtues of Christianity into three things, and the three things ultimately become one, and that's charity and love. Wholeness, not in part. Okay, does everybody get me thus far? I've got another maybe 10 minutes here. I want to make sure I didn't miss any super chats or anything. Yes. Gnostic Revelation Mysteries. I believe he'll have um, a, a sermon for you. And if not, go check out the last week's because I forgot to mention it. So I mentioned yesterday in my live stream, I was like, I was like getting pissed off a little bit because I was like irritated by all the people that are like hating masonry and stuff like that. I'm like, Amor's, Amor's Mason. He's not part of Social Lodge masonry anymore because the same reason I'm not part of it. I think it's sort of lost its way just like the modern churches has. It doesn't mean that's evil. It just means it's lost its way. But so many people be like, oh, he's a mason, therefore he's a devil worshiper, he's evil. It's like, and I, I said this, I'm like, Amor's like a walking hug. That's what the guy is. There's like, you meet the guy and it's just like this, like this emanation of love from the dude. But he's a mason. Wait, wait, so he's full of hope, faith, and charity? Where's the conflict here? I'm not sure. Anyway, so, uh, okay. So let's talk about the gematria of faith, hope, and charity, because this is actually going to lead us uh, right back to the number three, and and pi. Okay, they uh, they could have said faith, hope, and love, right? They could have said, I mean, they, they could have couched these terms in other terms. There's tons of synonyms for faith and hope and charity, obviously, right? And charity even is they they even tell you it's like no, this means love. So they could have used love, but they didn't. Okay, so faith, little gematria, faith, hope, and charity. Oh, I'm sorry, did I miss here? What does this say here? Thank you, Brother Eric Cesis. Thank you, Brother Marty and Sister Jen. Your words are needed the world over. Yes, 
without any arrogance whatsoever, without any arrogance whatsoever, I, I'm saying this. I, I am a, I'm a teacher. I'm, I'm a professor of these things. There's loads of stuff that I don't know about. Okay, like I said yesterday, if you asked me to change the catalytic converter on the 1997 Toyota Corolla, I'd be like, uh, um, screws, wrenches, hex nut. I don't know. I don't know how to do any of that. You're going to have to take that to a real man, okay, to get that done. But I know this stuff. I spent my life, I've dedicated my entire life to it, okay? And I profess these things, right? And I'm a teacher of these things. So I would say this with, once again, no arrogance whatsoever, just like you would go to a college to learn, you know, from a professor that's dedicated his life to something, there's no conflict there, right? It's like some people pay to do that. You get the stuff for free. Um, there, you know, I would say this, that yes, those teachers, those ministers, those pastors should be here learning. Okay? So, um, because as we've come to find, they, they've lost their way. They've lost their way. And even though, as I just read, even the Orthodox guy is saying, like, look, some of my Orthodox brothers, they're just, you know, love of money and fame and ambition and all this other stuff. So, okay, let's get back to Gematria. Gematria, by the way, is gem of three. That's what it means. It's a precious stone of three. That's what Gematria is. So if, if this is why I say, and this is why I have pretty harsh words, criticisms towards people that are doing Gematria and it's not leading you and they're not doing it with the spiritual or religious sense. The entire study of Gematria is to lead you to the Trinity. That's what it's there to do. So if you see a bunch of people stumble bumming and typing a bunch of stuff in a calculator and saying that sort of thing, they, they literally are lost. They literally have no idea what they're doing. No idea. It's supposed to lead you to Christ. So, okay. Faith, hope, charity. These three, okay? These are the cardinal virtues. They, it, it sums to 70 in English gematria, okay? Faith is 25, hope is 16, charity is 7. Um, so let's just say this. Reducing 70 down, 25, 16, 29, faith, hope, charity, reducing 70, 70 down, 7 plus 0 is 7. That right there leads you to that ever-present number 3 in, 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 in pi, right? So pi is 3.141, etc. right? We all know. 7 itself, so reducing 70 down, 7 plus 0 is 7, and 7 gives you 22. So it gives you the first two whole numbers that you can use to find this approximation of pi, a widely used abbreviation approximation of pi, okay? 7, 22 divided by 7 is, is 3.142. Starting with the Holy Trinity, starting with that holy number 3, okay? Faith, hope, and charity equals 70, okay? Now, I don't know if you guys know this, but the original, um, the Old Testament, well, let's start here. The Old Testament was translated, the, the Torah, right? The Old Testy, it originally written in Hebrew, written in Hebrew, um, was translated into Greek, Greek koine, I think is how you say that. And the Greek Old Testament translated, excuse me, the, 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 I'm losing my, losing my thoughts here. The Hebrew Testament, the Torah, Hebrew, was translated into Greek, okay? When that translation happened, it was called the Septuagint. Okay, the Greek Old Testament or Septuagint is the earliest extant, extant means still around, extinct extant, earliest extant Greek translation of books from the Hebrew Bible. Okay, the Septuagint Bible arose in allegedly the third century BC when the Hebrew Bible or Old Testament was translated into Greek. It, so in other words, they translated the book, the Old Testament, and then they gave it a name. And the name is what? 70. 
That's what it is. The name Septuagint derives from the Latin word Septuaginta, which means, and I'm probably saying that incorrectly because I don't speak Latin, which means 70. Okay, now, why is this? Well, of course, they're going to give you an explanation that they don't even know is true. The Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible is called Septuagint because 70 or 72 Jewish scholars reportedly took part in the translation problem. Allegedly, that's what they're saying. So they're giving you an explanation of why it's called 70. And I think it's nonsense, but... So, where does 70 come from? 70 can be found in between the, the gematria value of holy and Bible, okay? Think about this. What's happening in the terms holy Bible? Now, some people will be like, holy Bible, it's all bull-ass, it's all... But, you know, all this sort of stuff, they'll, you know, once again, they'll go wild with exp explanations. But when you look at phonetics, right? Holy Bible. Holy by bull. By means two. That's what it means. By means two. Like, just like, you know, like the word bios, which is the Greek word for life, is two, right? Why? Well, because just as we know, you need a man and a woman and then that third part, love or affinity or desire or attraction to bring them two together. What is Holy Bible saying right there? And it's two words. Bible, which is the word for book. Now, I don't know why they called it a Bible. Well, I do know why they called it a Bible. I'm showing you why they call it a Bible. But they could have just called it a holy book. Holy book. Because that's what Bible means. There is no, you know, uh, and it comes from Bibliotheca, right, which is like library. So holy is what? Unity oneness bible is what two so in other words it's bringing two things into one it's taking the left and right right and then there's that that transcendental third that that does what brings it into totality and wholeness unity try unity that's exactly what holy bible means by meaning two holy meaning wholeness okay the gematria value of holy in bible is holy is 12 and Bible is 16. Well, so holy is 12, Bible is 16, just as you see on the screen there. Adding the numbers between 12 through 16, sequentially, 12 plus 13 plus 14 plus 15 plus 16 equals 70. So in other words, the gematria value of what holy Bible is actually relating to, is trying to get you to understand, leads you to an explanation of, at least in English, well, it's the Septuagint, it's 70. 70. 70. 70. Holy equals 12, Bible equals 16. The numbers adding 12 through 16 equals 70. Deborah Stilly, I brought my mother here today to watch you. Happy Mother's Day. She said she already went to church today, but she is still here watching and really paying attention. Good job. Thank you. Well, thank you. I'm glad. It's one person at a time, isn't it? Okay, so so now, so there's, okay, so here's when we have this, the Holy Bible translated into English, we have a direct reference to the number 70, okay? Now, so there's 12 through 16 equaling 70. What's the numbers between 12 and 16? Small acts, great sermon as always. Thanks. Thank you, small acts. You know what I'm saying, right? Cut it down, chop it down with the edge of my hand. You know what I'm talking about. Okay, little Jimmy. Okay, so um, there it is. 12 through 16 equals 70. The numbers between 12 and 16, in other words, the numbers between holy and Bible are what? 13, 14, and 15. The numbers between holy and Bible. 
We re reverse those. You reverse those, and what do you have? Three, one, four, one, five. Okay. In other words, it's this slide. It's it's just in the when God created the sequential number line that goes into infinity, showing His infinite intelligence. When he when he created that, we have a we have a basically a a trick. Right? Like God, like God's being, the cre get this, the God, God, the creator is being creative with creation. In other words, it's going to require your creative faculties in order to unearth these things. Okay? Between Holy and Bible, adding 12 through 16 is 70. There's the Septuagint. Between Holy and Bible is 13, 14, and 15. You reverse those and you get the first five digits of pi. Three, one, four, one, five, one. If you that's that's a that's a once again putting the decimal place in there that's an approximation of pi revealed right in our number line that's ninety nine point nine 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 three percent correct something like that okay what's it start with three the holy trinity another thing I want to mention here thirteen and I've talked about this before we'll cover it when we do Matthew thirteen plus fourteen plus fifteen is forty two do you know how many generations there were to Christ. 42. 13 plus 14 plus 15, 42. Okay. So there's your, there's your holy, so the faith, hope, charity, 70. Reduce it down to seven. What's that? Pi. Then you go right to the Holy Bible and what does it tell you about? 70. What's the Septuagint called? 70. What's between holy and Bible? Pi. 3.1415. And all it takes is a hair of creativity. All it takes for you to do is, is seek out that faith. Evidence of things hoped for. Substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Sorry. Sorry. So, one other thing. So then, what we have to do is we look, so why 70? There's another question, right? So we saw, hey, related to the three theological virtues. Then we say, number 70. What are the properties of the number 70? These are the things that are irrefutable. The, this is the, this is the um, infallibility of God's language. When we look at the medium of mathematics, no one's ever going to change this. This will be this way forever. No one can come along and be like, well, the number 70, it says it has eight divisors, but today we're going to make 10. 70 today is going to be a prime number. No, it's not. It's never going to be that because it's always going to be that. It's always going to have those divisors. The factorization is always going to be that way. So when we look at the number 70, Septuagint, Holy Bible, what's between that? Pi, the Holy Holy Trinity in, in, a, in a number in a sense. You look at the divisors and it sums to what? 144. <laughs> right? So forget all the gematria I just showed you. Throw it out the window. Who cares? Just go to the number. Does, is the number 144, do we find that number expressed in the Bible anywhere, right? So the sum of the divisors of the number 70, the divisors are 1, 2, 5, 7, 10, 14, 35, 70. You, you add them together as 144. And then you just go to the end of Revelation, it's like, oh, and, uh, and I looked and lo, and a lamb stood on the Mount Sinai and, and with him 144,000. Of course, when we talk about thousands and days and nights and stuff like that, this is it's uh they're injecting these numbers into the story in in a particular way to get you to understand the key numbers okay the this is what the trinity's doing so here's some of the devices 144 okay 
So I want to say just one more thing here. The your Holy Bible, by the way, Holy equals 12, Bible equals 16. Let's go back. Holy equals 12, Bible equals 16. That equals 28. Well, do you know what three equals in English Gramatria? 28. Where is that 28? It's found on your hands. Let's count them. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. 14 times 2 is 28. Now, since this whole thing is, and we've covered this many times, the Trinity is found on your hands. That number three, that holy number three is found on your hands. So we just said, hey, we just looked at this and we're like, bam, ooh, three equals 28. We've got 28 phalanges on our two hands. Holy Bible equals 28. Adding one through seven, one plus two plus three plus four plus five plus six plus seven equals 28. Multiplying one through seven, which is, we just dealt with this in the last chapter in Mark, by the way, right? We dealt with it twice already in Mark, okay? One times two times three times four times five times six times seven is 5,040. 5,040, in other words, th these numbers are right on your hands. 5,040 divided by 28 is what? That's the Holy Trinity. 180 degrees. That's a triangle. Okay. So in, my, in, my new, in the new book, Lord Jesus Christ, ooh, three names, three terms becoming one holy God, right? Um, this is the opening line of the book. And I said, so as you pick up the book and read the book, it's, it's a, quote, a quote from Claudia Pavonis there and it says, what you are holding in your hands is a gem. And this book is pretty good too. <laughs> Why? Because you hold the Holy Trinity in your hands. It's been with you the entire time. Why? Because it's eternal. It ain't going anywhere. You've held the Holy Trinity in your hands your entire life. Now, which one of these pastors and preachers are going to tell you that? Not many. Most of them are going to tell you that you have to pray to some dude 2,000 years ago. And little do they know he's here with us right now. So, um, head on over to Gnostic Revelation Mysteries there. And I don't know if he's got a new teaching today, but he's got a, a, a couple there. Um, I, I didn't get through the Mystical Path Purification yet, but I'm, uh, it's what I've got through thus far pretty dang good. So uh, go check him out. Show him some love. He's got a new teacher uh, te teaching and preaching for you. The Beach of Preacher. Yes, right? So um, your book is awesome. Takes a lot of time to chew on the mana. Thank you, love. Thank you so much. Thank you all for the super chats. I really appreciate it. Next week, I think we're going to go right back into Mark. We'll do Mark chapter 9. Um, oh, there's such good stuff in there. It is so mystic. In fact, the Trinity makes an appearance uh, there as well. It's this great, I mean, it's just this kick-ass story about how, oh, we'll, we'll wait. Yeah, it's just so great, though. It's like, um, yeah, I think it's Simon. I think it's Simon Peter. He's up with Christ. And then all of a sudden, uh, Elias and Moses appears. And so it's three of them. And Simon Peter 
it goes and he's like, oh, I'm going to make a tabernacle for you, Moses, and one for you, Elias, and one for you, Jesus. And as soon as he says this, a dark cloud appears like, what are you talking about? You've lost your way, right? And all of a sudden he gets scared. And then he's, and then he looks up and all of a sudden they're all one. It's all Jesus. It's just fantastic. It's a fantastic story. So, okay, that's going to do it. Guys, um, if you'd like to become a member, you can become a member for five bucks a month, 14 quarterly or 54 for the year. I like to, like I said, I like to keep it cheap because I know people are hurting financially. And, but um, I like to, you know, at least I'd like to think that we do a good service here over at the Gnostic Academy. Um, uh, GnosticAcademy.org is where you can sign up. And um, I think it's worth, I think it's worth five bucks a month. I think uh, a lifetime of knowledge is worth five bucks a month, okay? Um, all right, we're going to listen to a song. Well, let me, let me finish this. Let me, let me outro here. May you always keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for, our, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. May his grace be with you all. Amen. That's where we're seeking the grace. We are seeking that grace. Okay, so we're going to listen to a, a Ryan Adams tune. Uh, he just released a couple new records. The guy's insane. I think he's released four records this year. My Lord. Anyway, it's a really good tune, and I like to just play some tunes in the outro. So if anybody has any questions or want to chat really quick, we'll do that. So I will see you guys next Sunday. Thank you all so much for joining me today. I um, That was a spoiler alert. I know it was a spoiler alert. That's okay, though. Um, I really appreciate you guys showing up every Sunday. It means the world to me, and I appreciate everybody that sends donations or even just writes letters or anything like that or any of that stuff. I really appreciate it. Anybody that buys a book. Um, you know, get that book on people's shelves. It's, it's, you know, someday this internet whole thing is going to collapse and, you know, the, they're going to collapse the economy and stop ship. You know, you know what they're, they're, they're gearing up to do. We all see it. They're telling us, they're telling us that they're doing this stuff. So at some point you're not going to be able to go down the internet and get all this information. So you're going to want something like that on your shelf. Okay. So, and that's not some shameless book promotion. I'm just doing that because I care about you. Cause I'm trying to, I'm trying to extol that charity and love. Sometimes I fail. It's a fact, but we do what we can. Okay, guys, thank you all so much. Um, let's rock out. Let's do it.